How many of you watch Growing Pains? Got any fans out here? How many of you uh, were big Mike Seaver fans? All right, right. Kirk Cameron and his role as Mike Seaver. The Seavers were a family that uh, lived through the 80s. Uh, if you were in the 80s, uh, growing up in the 80s like I did, you watched it all the time, followed their lives. And one of the things that they taught you was that there were always issues that came up. And over the last few weeks, we've been in this series of messages uh, called My Perfect TV Family, with that perfect TV marked out and the idea that families aren't really like what we see on TV, that problems don't get solved in 30 minutes, that things don't happen that quickly, that major issues don't get brought up and resolved by the time the credits roll, but that families are difficult to live through. Over the last few weeks as we've examined that, we've looked at Scripture about what that means for us in our current family situations. Today, as we finish up the series, we're going to finish talking about those growing pains, those difficulties, the problems that can make a marriage very difficult and how God can restore it. And I'm not going to talk to you about it at all. We have some special guests this morning. Um, A couple of years ago, some of you know this, some of you may not, but uh, in addition to what I do here, occasionally I teach a class at Union University Hendersonville um, in their religion department. A couple of years ago, uh, I was teaching a class called Johannine Literature. Now, that sounds really complicated, right? Anybody know what Johannine Literature is? It's what John wrote. They probably should just call it what John wrote, right? Well, they call it Johannine or Johannine or Johannine literature, depending on who the professor is. I'm from the South, so it's Johannine, all right? And we're teaching that, and a guy in my class walked in, and everybody was ribbing him because he was asking questions right from the beginning. We were talking through the syllabus. We were doing the first kind of stuff, and they were ribbing him because he, they, they kind of made it sound like he was going to be the brown noser of the class. Anybody here ever known a brown noser in class? Anybody here ever been one? Yeah, you have. You're just not raising your hands, all right? And so as we got to talking, though, I realized that God was moving in his life in a mighty way. And the more I talked to Robbie, the more I became impressed with what God was doing. Robbie and I have become friends since that time. We've talked together. I've watched him grow and mature, watched him walk through difficult moments of ministry and what God is calling him to do in both the business world and also in the minister world. And he and his wife, Christy, have had a phenomenal ministry about marriage over the last nine years. You're going to hear today a story from them, their testimony of how God rescued their marriage. And just so you know, God is using them in a mighty way even today as they share their story. They've been a part of the LifeWay marriage getaway conferences that happen two or three times a year. They've been a part of that, sharing their testimony in those arenas. They also, they just got back. They do conferences in places around the country. Uh, They just got back from Laurel, Mississippi last night where they were doing a conference. Uh, They live here in Hendersonville and have lived here in Hendersonville their lives and have planted their lives here. And I am so excited for you to hear what God has done in the life of Robbie and Christy Ron. So would you give them a First Baptist Church welcome to Robbie and Christy Ron. I told the first service that uh, I don't think it was as much people were impressed with me being a brown noser as it was. I sounded like Gomer Pyle when I asked the question, so they got a kick out of all that a whole lot, but... uh, 
We thank you guys for letting us come out and speak this morning to you. And uh, we're excited. We always get excited to come out and share our testimony. We always get excited to talk about marriage. Um, it's such an important thing. And I look at the front three rows here. <laughs> two rows. It's a Baptist church. So two rows. And I see all you young people. And I see my kids over here. I see my oldest daughter and my future son. I call it, I don't call him my son-in-law, my future son. And, and my son and my youngest daughter. And I think about the things that Christy and I have been through. The things that Christy and I are going to talk about to you guys today. And can I tell you the things that you don't want to face? The things that you don't want to deal with in marriage. So... I know this may not seem like it's going to be at you guys because it is about marriage, but it's directed exactly towards you guys because it's about what God wants. Christy and I, we've been married 25 years. We dated for four before that, so we've been together 29. This September will be 30 years. We've been together two-thirds of our lives. <laughs> so that seems like forever, but it's 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 mostly been good, I think. I don't know. For me, it's been good. For her, it probably hasn't been so good. Been good. We're kind of still newlyweds. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're just going to be blown away that we're still married when you hear our story. Um, like Robbie said, our kids are with us today. It's the first time that they've heard us live, so I'm going to be probably more emotional than I've ever been today. Um, our oldest is 21, Chelsea. She's engaged to be married to Christian next year, this year. Goodness, in a this few months. Colby is 18. He's going to graduate from high school this year. And our youngest is Chanley. She just turned 13. So it's kind of crazy at our house. Um, we've got a passion for marriages because God's radically saved ours. But first we're going to pray and then open with a quick video. Yeah, let me pray for us real quick. Father, you're just awesome. We love you. And uh, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for just grabbing us and holding on tight, even when we're kicking and screaming. Even when we're fighting you tooth and nail, thank you for holding on to us. Thank you for redemption and restoration. And thank you for just your grace and mercy. We just pray that above all this morning, what everybody hears is you mm. and what you can do. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Lyle asked Christy not to come and share basically how you can mess up a marriage. Is there any possible thing that we could do to, that, that we haven't done to mess a marriage up any worse than ours was messed up? And uh, the answer to that is no. We did every possible thing that we could to mess a marriage up. But God. My favorite two words of the entire Bible is but God. Because anytime you read that, that means he's done something. That means no matter what's happened in the past, that's all negated but God. Now you have the present. Guys, we want to show you a picture of our happy, we call it our happy family. <laughs> and you can kind of see just an average family. It's uh, me and Christy, Colby, Chelsea, and Chandley. And that's a Christmas picture. It's for a Christmas card. And I want to show you what we deal with a lot in church. What we deal with a lot as, as members of a church, as church staff, as, as whatever, one thing that we deal with a lot is masks. 
And I'm sure you've all heard about people talking about, take your mask off, take your mask off. You know, Christy tells a story in another talk that we have about her mom and dad and how, they, how she learned to, to, to cover things up and put the mask on because her mom and dad would be yelling at the dinner table and rah, 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 and the phone would ring and her mom would go, hello. <laughs> so she learned this at a young age of how to wear a mask. Well, what I want you to see right here, and we use these things because I'm very, I like to put feet to what we're talking about. I like to put application to what we're talking about. I don't want to just tell you something. I want to tell you how it, how it looks. I want to show it to you. I, I share with people, people used to tell me to just give it to God. Just give it to God. Just give it to God. What does that mean, give it to God? I don't understand, give it to God. Tell me what that means. Explain to me how to do that. So what we want to do today is we want to show you what wearing a mask looks like. We use this picture in all of our talks because, and we call it our happy family, because really what's going on in this picture is I'm so drunk, I can barely hold my son up. Christy and I hate each other with everything that we got. I can't stand her, she can't stand me. Underneath the floor that we're standing on right there is a bar that I have built in my house where I have a bunch of friends downstairs drunk watching a football game and I'm mad at her because I'm having to come up here and take this picture. Do you see the masks? That's what's going to be sent out to the world. We have it all together. Mm -hmm. We started dating when we were 16, got married when we were 20. Way too young, I thought for us. Um, I thought I could help Robbie change him. I thought he would grow up once we started having children. He didn't. Things just got worse. We later, we, we later learned what codependency was. When you think you can change somebody, you're not going to. Yeah. And he would stop for a little while and things would get a little better. Then he would go right back. And it was just hard for years and years he would do this. And it was just getting harder and harder. I was saved when I was 12. went to church my whole life growing up. Um, but when we married... And he wouldn't go to church with me. It was hard to go alone until I started having these children over here. And God began to show me, you've got to get them in church. So I began to go to church by myself. I ended up at Long Hall Baptist Church up here in Hendersonville. And I'll never forget just feeling at home there and just really seeing God move there. And I'll never forget one of the first altar calls I came down on. Brother David was preaching a sermon on what he called a Long Hall of Lucy. And he described her as a wife. Who's coming to church alone, bringing her kids alone, spiritually leading her family alone, but so wants her husband to come to know the Lord. And he offered that day, if that's you, come forward and we want to pray for you in your marriage. Well, I'm shy. I'm dying on the inside. No one knows what's going on in my house, but I found myself right up front. And I said, that's me. Would you please pray for my marriage? Would you please pray for Robbie? The pastor said the sweetest prayer over him, just begging God to put people in his life to, to speak truth to him. And I felt just a sense of peace when I left that day, like I never felt before. And the next day, I'm just calling Robbie, just routinely at work, you know, kind of, hey, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading the Bible. I said, reading the Bible? He didn't own a Bible. I always say right there, hello, God. <laughs> you know, God's giving her a little bit of grace. He's saying, I'm working, I'm working. I had a salesman uh, that, that used to work for me back then, and I rode that poor man hard um, to, to sell. And I stayed on him all the time. And one that particular morning, he walked up to me and said, hey, I think you may need this. And he handed me a Bible. Mm -hmm. 
like I was really going to do anything with it. And I just happened to open it up, and I was glancing through Revelations. Don't ask me why. When Christy called. Now we know why. Yeah, because God was showing me, look, I'm working. Just hang in there. And I remember really feeling that way. So I kept going to this church and got really involved in some Bible studies on my own. And I chose to go to one called The Power of a Praying Wife. Because I thought, he needs a lot of prayer. That sounds like a class I need to take. So I ended up in this class, and I got frustrated right away in this class because I was hearing answers to prayers and these marriages and things happening for these wives as they were praying, and nothing was changing in my house. Things were just getting worse. And I was really, really frustrated when I left one night. I thought, you know what? I've just married the wrong person. Just married the wrong person. We were 20 years old. We're just too young. So I decided for the first time to look in my Bible under marriage, really hoping for a way out honestly. So I got this Bible right here and looked in the back under marriage. And I'm thinking, I'm just married the wrong person. Lord, just help me get out of this. And it says, don't assume you married the wrong person. See, 1 Corinthians 7. Yeah, it scared me to death too. Um, I turned right to 1 Corinthians and read that whole passage where Paul's talking about marriage. And he's saying, if you're married to an unbeliever and they're willing to stay with you, you stay. Because God may have you right where you are to win that spouse over to him. Because I had sensed for a, a while, you know, Robbie didn't have a true relationship with God. He grew up in church, went to church every week. Um, he knew some scripture. He knew some about the Lord. He could say some mealtime prayers for our family. But his lifestyle was not falling in line with the believers, and I knew that. And so I just kept pressing on and praying, encouraged. And, but my emotional needs as a wife were not getting met at all. You know, he said we were just living like roommates at home. I was upstairs raising the kids. He's downstairs in this bar drinking, having people over every night. And we're just not even hardly crossing paths. So emotionally, I was dying on the inside as a wife, too. Exactly what the enemy was waiting on. And I found myself knee-deep in an emotional affair before I could could help it, before I knew what was going on. Freaked me out. And I immediately called one of the ladies I had met at the church in one of the Bible studies and said, you've got to pray over me. I just know that this is going to go too far, and this is not what God wants, but you've got to pray. I'm really struggling. So she began to pray with me. She began to send me to some other spiritual women in the church to pray for me. Um, She led me to the women's minister, Julie Woodruff, and they all just began to really share God's truth with me. And they gave me a safe place to open up. For the first time, I was able to be really truthful about what was going on in our home. And that's really where we named our marriage ministry. Marriage and Truth kind of came out of that season because they were sharing the verse, you know, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so not only was I able to be truthful with them about what was going on, but they were challenging me with God's truth. Stay in the marriage. That's what God's saying to you. In this emotional affair. It's not what God wants. And I'd even written out a, a prayer on a scratch piece of paper I found months later just begging God to put spiritual women in my life. And I remember in that season realizing, you're doing that. Like, these are spiritually strong women. You're answering that prayer. And, but I'm still struggling really hard with this emotional affair. My flesh is just fighting it so hard. And I'm back at church. I'm in another sermon, Brother David. And he's preaching on affairs this time. And he's talking about how an emotional affair can lead to a physical affair. Because he's saying you're taking steps towards an edge. And he literally walked up like this. And he said, you're going to find yourself so far emotionally that you're just going to fall off and you're going to be in a physical affair before you realize it. I thought somebody had given him my name and he was talking directly to me. I'm squirming. I'm just 
restless. I want to get out of there as fast as possible. And then that afternoon, the only way God knew I could hear him, he spoke through our little three-year-old little girl. She she was pretending to read a book. She couldn't read at three years old. She had this book upside down in the room, and I just zoned in. I just listened to her because what she was saying caught my caught my attention. She said, baby bird, baby bird, don't get too close to the edge. You're going to fall off. Come back home, baby bird. Come back home so you won't fall. Threw the book down, ran out of the room. God's telling me, Christy, you're getting too close to this edge. You're going to fall off. you got to back up. So I'm still struggling with that, trying to hide this stuff from the kids, the drinking, trying to end this emotional affair. I'm just in a desperate season. And it's summertime. It's 2007. I've been going to church for several years. And I'm letting the kids stay up late because it's summer. And my oldest was 12, youngest was 3. And they're in the bonus room watching TV. And I'll never forget Chelsea, the oldest, saying, Mama, can you please come carry Chanley to bed? Because Daddy's drunk and stumbling. I'm afraid he might drop her. And she didn't take her eyes off the TV. I'm like, oh, she thinks this is normal. And I really felt God say, it's time. It's time. So I got those kids to bed. Went down to the bar. (laughs) I wish he loves this part. I wish I could say I gracefully entered and started praying over all these men to leave my house. But I did not. She didn't gracefully enter. <laughs> Had to repent. She kicked doors open and said words that I didn't know that she knew. And uh, if you've ever turned the light on and watched cockroaches scatter, that's what you saw six grown men look like. Little Christy comes running in, and six grown men go flying out. And I tell people, and, and it's funny because to this day, I have never run into those six guys again. Not at the grocery store, nowhere. I've never seen them again since that one night in my house. And uh, Christy pretty much told me after she threw them all out, she said, this is not working. This is not going to work. The only way that we're going to keep doing this is if you go to marriage counseling. So I was a control freak. I controlled everybody. I controlled the conversations. I controlled my salesmen. I controlled my employees. I controlled everybody around me. So... What do you think I was going to do when I went into counseling? I'm going to control this guy that I'm talking to. (laughs) So I convinced this guy, so I thought, that I was not an alcoholic. I just really, really liked to drink. Now, understand, I was drinking 12 to 15 beers every night on a day off, 30 to 50. I would start drinking at 6.30 in the morning on the way to Bluegrass Country Club to start playing golf, play 36 holes of golf, go into the men's grill, Gamble till about 7.30. Get back to my house where the guys were there waiting to play music. Because when I say we had bars, we had bars. With stages and instruments and TVs built into the walls and all kinds of crazy stuff. And then I would party until I basically passed out. So the guy, I would tell the guy, I'm not an alcoholic, I just like to drink. And he'd say, okay, you're not an alcoholic, Robbie. Uh, Let's just say if you'll stop, you don't have to go to a treatment center. But if you drink again, you're going to have to go to a treatment center. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. Well, thankfully, I had my private session with this guy about a week later. And I said, are you crazy? What do you mean you told him he's not an alcoholic? 
He said, Christy, he's a raging alcoholic. I just couldn't tell him that the first session. He said, but what you're going to have to do, we've got to be praying for his spiritual, it's a spiritual core issue. We've got to pray for salvation. And I knew he was right. I knew there was not any fruit in Robbie's life. And so I began to really pray again for Robbie's salvation. Ended up in another Bible study. God's still working on me at this church and bringing these women around me. And he get, puts me in a forgiveness Bible study. And I remember being in this study going, I know I've got a lot to forgive because he's doing a lot, but he's not sorry for any of it. And what I learned in that study was we're commanded to forgive because we've been forgiven, but that our relationship's not going to be restored until there's repentance. And even though I knew that, it just came to life in a whole new way in this study. So again, I pressed on, you know, working my way through trying to forgive him, even though he wasn't asking for it. Then I end up in my final Bible study that really broke me. And it's in First Peter. And we now call that my pink book because I've highlighted the whole book pink in my Bible. But I remember being in First Peter 1 where it talks about rejoicing in your trials because it's strengthening your faith. Sure didn't feel like a trial I should be rejoicing in. But I, God was saying to me, Chrissy, this is not just about Robbie. This is not just about him stopping drinking. This, I'm trying to say something to you too. This is strengthening your faith in me. And then I got to 1 Peter 3, where he's talking to wives. And he says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands as the Lord, as to the Lord, that they may be won over by your example. And he goes on to say, To see the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And for the first time, I felt this gentle and quiet spirit coming up in me, not just, you know, white knuckling it, but really feeling peaceful that God's working and I can trust him. And so I just pressed on, pressed on. And this ended, kind of led me up to just a complete surrender. I'm going to bring you up to March 7th, 2008. We're six months into no drinking, six months since I've thrown everybody out of the bar, six months of counseling, six months I'm fighting this emotional affair, and I've been through all these studies, and God finally breaks me. And I have this complete surrender that day. I give myself completely back to the Lord. I end the emotional affair for good. We were even supposed to meet that day, and I called. I said, I'm, this is, I'm done. And then I gave this guy completely back over to God. I said, Lord, do whatever in him, because I sure can't fix him. I'm tired. He's yours. And I just fully surrendered everything to him. That same night, March 7th, we got a bad, bad ice storm here in Nashville. And Robbie calls, asking if he can stay in a hotel with all the drinking buddies he works with. How funny is that? She says, I can't drink. I'm, I'm six months into to counseling and, and her telling me I can't drink anymore. And a bunch of the guys that work with me say, hey, we're going to stay at a hotel tonight. you got to stay with us. And I said, are y'all crazy? Y'all really think my wife's going to let me stay with y'all? Hang on a second. Let me call her. You know, I, I knew she wasn't going to let me stay, but I was going to try. I was going to try to manipulate the system. So I called Christy and told her what was going on, and she said, absolutely not. You're not staying at a hotel. It'll just take you a little longer to get home. And I, I get serious here for a minute, guys, because I want you to understand, if you don't believe in Satan, he's already got you. That night when I left work, there was about five different ways I could go home. All five of them were blocked, whether it be a wreck, whether it be a car slid off in a ditch, whether it be police saying that the road was closed, 
in about an hour and a half, I went about two miles and wound up back where I'd originally started. And I called Christy and said, I really do have to stay at a hotel. And she's been watching the news, so she knew I wasn't kidding this time. And she said, okay, you go ahead. So I went to the hotel and I checked in, called her as I was sitting on the bed. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm checked in. I'm getting ready to go to bed. In the meantime, I'm sliding my shoes on, getting ready to go down to the bar. Mm-hmm. And I tell her good night. Along about midnight, I wake up and I think, I'm going to call him. Because I'm going to be able to tell if he's been drinking by the way he answers. I'm just going to call and check up on him. And I thought, no, Lord, I gave him back to you today. I'm not going to call. So I just hung up the phone and went to sleep. Well, that night I did go down to the bar. And I did get really, 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 really drunk. And I share this story because it's, again, a lot of the stuff that we share is funny to us now that wasn't funny at the time. But if anybody in here has ever drank, you probably had a hangover before. Well, I drank so much I didn't get hangovers anymore. I just didn't. But this one specific time, I had the worst hangover I have ever had in my entire life. And she gets a kick out of it. Yeah. You know those women in my life that have been praying with us? They started praying these crazy specific prayers that the alcohol would just give him the worst hangover if he touched it again. And just throwing down with all these specific prayers about hangover. She tells me that years later. (laughs) I didn't know that at that time. but uh, awesome. So, you know, I've got this horrible hangover. And I'm going home from work. I feel terrible, but i got to put my game face on because I can't let Christy know I did anything last night. So I walk in the door. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? And she's laying or sitting on the bed, leaned up against the headboard, and she looks at me with the most peaceful smile that I've ever seen. And she said, did you have fun last night? And I said, what are you talking about? Did I have fun last night? When I went to bed, how much fun can you have? And she said, Robbie, what if I had proof you were drinking last night? Now, Christy wasn't the type that was going to trick me or lie to me or anything like that, so I knew she had something. I was the salesman. I was the one that was going to trick her. But all of a sudden, she's sitting here hitting me with this, and I wasn't prepared for it at all. So I said, what any good alcoholic would say, I went down to the bar and had one. She said, Robbie, what if I had proof that you were drunk last night? And I didn't know what to say. She said, you called me last night and you left me a voicemail early in the morning. I didn't know what to say. So I just came forth with everything. Yes, I did. I'm not, I, did I, went downstairs. I went down to the bar. I did get drunk. I did do all that stuff. And she just peacefully sat there smiling. And I couldn't understand why my bags weren't packed. The deal was, if I drank, I had to go to a treatment center. She said, Robbie, last night, I surrendered everything to God. And I laid you at His feet. And God's going to tell me what to do. He's going to tell me what to do. And that may include you, and it may not. And I'll be okay either way. Of all the times in our life where I said, take the kids and get out. Of all the times where she said, I'm leaving you, I'm done. This time was completely different because it was the most peaceful, I'm okay with whatever. So the next day, I go back to work 
And I'm telling the guys that were with me, I said, man, y'all aren't going to believe this. I got busted last night. They said, what are you talking about? I said, man, I don't know. Christy told me I called her and left her a voicemail. I don't know. I said, I don't know. And one of the guys that was with me was our tech guy. And he said, I don't think so. How could you have done that? He said, give me your phone. So he goes, what's your code? He punches in my code and everything. He scrolls through my outgoing call log. He said, hey, dude, there's no outgoing call on your phone. You didn't call her. I said, she has done it. She has talked me into telling on myself. That was beautiful. I told they were all salesmen around me. I said, I'm going to fire all of you and hire her. (laughs) So I get home that night and I grab her phone and I scroll through her incoming call log and there's no incoming call. So I go up there and I told her, I pitched her her phone. I said, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. That was the best clothes I've ever seen in my life. She said, what are you talking about, Robbie? I said, Chrissy, there was no outgoing call on my phone. There's no incoming call on your phone. There's no voicemail. I never called you. You talked me into telling on myself. And she dialed her voicemail and stuck it to my ear. And there I was. You could hear me. You could hear the guys that were with me. The drunk laughter. We had some Russian gentlemen sitting next to us. They were extremely loud, so we were trying to be louder than they were. You could hear the whole long conversation, and we still have the phone today at our house. Guys, let me tell you something. I also checked our detailed billing. That phone call was not on our detailed billing. The phone call did not exist. And at that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew that I just met God. Tears just stung his eyes. I knew he was so overwhelmed and confused of why I wasn't making him leave and why I had this gentle, quiet spirit. And and I reminded him, I said, I've given you to God, Robbie. And I'm going to wait on him to show me what to do. But then it really allowed for a moment for me to finally ask him that question I wanted to ask him for 16 long years. I said, Robbie, do you really think you're saved? And he said, I don't know, Christy. He said, I believe in God. I believe Jesus died on the cross, but I don't feel what you feel. And I don't know how to get there. He said, I'd like to go talk to Julie Woodruff with you now. And we laugh about that because for months I tried to get him in there with me to talk to her. And he would just blast her out. I said, what's she going to do? Read a psalm over me? What's she going to do? Why don't we just fly down and see Joel Osteen? Go fly and see the Pope. We can go see anybody. Why has it got to be Julie Woodruff? (sighs) But at this moment, he knew he could trust her. He knew she'd been praying me through and keeping me in this marriage as well. So we set an appointment with Julie for that week. Now all these women, I'm texting them like crazy, like, I think Robbie's about to get saved. Y'all got to be praying. And so we're waiting on this meeting that week. Well, one of the ladies asked me to lunch the day before we met Julie. She'd been walking with our oldest daughter, discipling her. And so she knew about the alcoholism, but she didn't know about my emotional affair. And so we're sitting there talking, and I'm telling her everything we've just told you guys, all the way through the voicemail and everything. And I'm like, I think Robbie's just like about to get saved like tomorrow. And I said, but I've got to tell you, girl, you have helped me in ways you have no idea. The times you would send texts to me that you're praying and scripture to me really stopped me in my tracks from an emotional affair I was involved in. She said, does Robbie know about that? And I said, no. And she said, you need to tell him. You need to tell him tonight. 
And I said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to mess up this meeting tomorrow. I'm not going to. She said, no, Christy, really. She said, Robbie needs to see you as a sinner as well, saved by God's grace. And she took me straight to Matthew, where God sees lust. It's the same as affairs. In his eyes, it's the same. She said, I know you had an emotional affair, but it's, it was an affair on your marriage. And it was wrong. You need to ask him to forgive you. So when I went home that night, that kind of peaceful joy and smile was gone because I was in turmoil, if I should tell him or not. And he noticed right away. He said, what's going on? What's wrong? And I said, I need you to sit down. i got to tell you something. I said, I've been involved in an emotional affair for about a year. I've just ended it, that it was wrong, and I need to ask you to forgive me. And he left the room. Didn't say a word. He left the room. He was gone for an hour. And I sat there going, oh, I've just messed everything up. Just messed everything up. He comes back about an hour later, and he is white, and he is crying, and he is shaking. And he sits down, and he says, Christy, I've got to tell you something. He said, I've had several affairs in our marriage. And I just could never come and ask you to forgive me. And I tell you all, in that moment, I heard God louder than I've ever heard him in my spirit say, show him grace right now, Christy. This is what I've been waiting for. You show him grace for me. And I just was able to look at him and say, I think I already forgive you. Even though there was so much hurt, so much pain to have that confirmed. But I knew, I knew God had been preparing me for this already. And I just knew I was going to forgive him. So I went on to bed. Robbie stayed up. I went downstairs that night. And and the only way I can describe what I went through that night was to say that God put what I had put her through for 20 years in me that night. I know a little bit, I tell people what it felt like when the Bible says Jacob wrestled with God. Because I would sit here and bawl and cry. I'm the control freak. I got control of everything. Now all of a sudden I'm trying to sit here and figure out, what does this look like? Do I have a family? Do I have a wife? Do I pay her? Do I have one house? Do I have two houses? I don't know what anything looks like. And I would get mad. I would cry and I would tell God I'm sorry. And then I would start yelling and cussing him. And then I would start crying again. And it was an emotional roller coaster that night. And I finally fell asleep pretty much in a fetal position on the basement floor. The next day, we were going to go see Julie and, and we headed to her office. And It was... One of those mornings where Christy really didn't talk to me too much. I didn't talk to her. She didn't talk to me. We were trying to figure out this whole ordeal and how it works and, and how to get through this bombshell that that I basically just dropped on her. And we head to Julie's office, and Julie says, so tell me what's going on. And I said, I, I told Christy I've had some affairs on her. Now, let me say this. Be careful what you ask God for. Because he'll give it to you. Because on the way to that meeting, I was praying, Lord, I know I don't pray. But do me a big favor. I'm way too tough to break down crying in front of this woman, so don't let me break down crying in front of her. He said, okay. 
And stone cold as I could be, I just said, I told Christy I've had some affairs on her. And Christy stood up and said, get out. Get out of the office. And she got to talk to Julie. Yeah, I just broke down to Julie. I said, he doesn't realize how much he has hurt me. I just can't stand this control and this harshness about this. I am devastated. And I'm just hurt and heartbroken. And so she talked with me for a few minutes and encouraged me to bring him back in there and let him see these emotions. Just let him see me break. And so I did. We brought him back in. And I was able just to cry and just break about all the hurt. And I saw him just break. And I saw that basically I'm sorry I'm caught in this go to godly sorrow and repentance. Will you forgive me? And then I saw that repentance that I learned about. And she asked him, you know, what's your relationship with the Lord? He's like, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. And he ends up saying this most radical prayer of his own salvation and repentance right with me and Julie. It was the most powerful salvation I've ever been a part of. The one where I just knew it was real. Knew it was real. And Julie even kind of joked towards the end of it. She said, y'all should think about renewing your vows sometime. And we didn't even make it to the card. We came right back around and said, can we do that tonight? Like on this night? Um, and she said, well, let me see if I can work it out. She found a pastor to come. And I was able to text all those ladies that had been walking with us. We got our parents there. And we got to go home and sit down with these three kids and tell them what had just happened. And Robbie got to sit them down. Got to tell him he'd just given his life to Jesus. Sorry, I'd never done it in front of the kids before. They know everything. I mean, we hadn't hid anything from them. But I got to sit down and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not being the dad that you deserved. I'm sorry for not being the husband that I was supposed to be. Will you please, please forgive me? I've given my life to Christ. He is my Lord and Savior and things are going to change. And each one of them gave me a big hug and told me, yeah, they forgave me. And the love and forgiveness from children, just how quick they are to love and forgive us. It's amazing. They were so quick to just love on him and forgive him. And we actually have a picture. We show a, a real <laughs> picture now uh, of our family. Uh, they're actually here. They could probably just stand there. But that's what... <laughs> That's what the real family looks like now, and those are real smiles, and it's not fake anymore. It is. We've God's done so much restoration, and and so much uh, just restoring. You know, guys, let me tell you something. When you meet God, when you see God, when you speak to God, He changes you. But not only does He change you. He changes the people around you, the people that you affect. Now, I share a story, and it's a very hard one for me to share a lot of times about Colby. When Colby was five, Colby just wanted to hang out with me. I was too busy drinking, doing other stuff, not really hanging out with him too much. And Colby said, hey, Dad, let's go down to the bar. So we went down to the bar, and he got his little sippy cup, and he put it in one of my beer koozies. 
And he said, Dad, get a beer. And then he got a white crayon. And he colored the end of it red. And he got a matchbox car. And he would act like he was lighting his cigarette. He would say, get a cigarette, Dad. And this is what I was teaching him at five years old. Was get a beer and get a cigarette. But God, but God. He changed everything. God gave us the sweetest story a few months after Robbie got saved that we can just kind of lay right on top of that. Colby came running in the kitchen, grabbed a coffee cup, poured some sweet tea in it, grabbed his Bible. I said, Colby, what are you doing? And he said, Mom, what's happened with Dad is great. I'm going to go hang out with him and drink my coffee and read the Bible. Guys, it changes everything. I'm so glad God got a hold of us so our kids can begin to see him. And I'm going to close with this final one. We could go on and on. Last year, our oldest daughter got engaged. And she's been dating this guy. They're high school sweethearts. But he's really a good guy. He's all right. <laughs> he's, a good, he's a great guy. And I love that his name's Christian. That's just To me, that's extra special. But he really is a good guy. He is. He They've is. been dating for years, all through high school and college. And they got engaged last spring. And the day after they got engaged, Chelsea and I had a mama-daughter moment in the kitchen. And I said, hey, baby girl. I said, I'm so happy for you, but we got to talk. Are you sure he's the one? You know how mom and dad feel about marriage. You know we feel it's a lifelong commitment. It's a covenant. You know how we feel. Are you sure he's the one? I loved her response. She said, Mom, all that you and dad have been through and how you've hung in there and what God has done to hold you and our family together through it all, showing us it's worth it. I know it's a lifelong commitment. I know it's a covenant, and I know God will get us through anything, and we're going to have no excuses to get out. And, yeah, I know he's the one. Guys, when you meet God, when you see him, it changes everything, and it changes the people around you. And I end with this. If you you want to flip in your Bibles, you can. If I can see through the tears to read to you. Uh, Exodus thirty three eighteen through 20. Or 23, excuse me. I'm going to quit sniffling in the mic in a minute, too. <laughs> 33, 18 through 23. Yeah, let's get out of Deuteronomy. Let's get into Exodus. In 18 through 23, this is basically Moses up on Mount Sinai when he's meeting with God. And I want you to see a contrast of what happens. In in verse 18 it says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near where you may stand on a rock, where my glory may pass by. I will put you in a cleft cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. You ever looked at a cleft of a rock, guys? I looked up. I looked on this. I looked it up this morning because I wanted to see what a cleft of a rock looked like. It's a really small little space where probably one person can fit in there, pretty confined. I'm sure rather dark when the Lord puts His hand over it and covers it up. So in a dark, confined space, I'm sure of uncertainty. God never said how long He would be in the cleft of a rock. He just said until I decide to pass by. So in the cleft of a rock, a confined place, a dark place, a place of uncertainty, God pulls His hand back and reveals His glory. And Moses sees Him. If you jump over to the contrast side of that, chapter 34, uh, verse 29, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two, tab- the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware of his faith, that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. When he met God, he was almost disfigured, some versions say. I've, I've heard it said in school. Probably Brother Lyle shared that one with me. I don't know. But, uh, you know, he was almost disfigured. He was the holy sunburn, I've heard it. Because of the radiance from meeting God, he was changed. And as he goes down here to everybody else that he influences, he affects every one of them. They're all scared to death. Now what do you think happens a little later on in the passage when he tells them God said do this? They're already afraid of him. God affects you. God affects the people around you when you meet him. And guys, I wish I had time to sit up here and just go on and on and on of the times that we've met God, of what God's done for us. I could share stories with you over and over and over that would blow your mind going, nobody could have done that but God. I know that. I was there. Nobody could do what He's done. And even in the last nine years, to think that Christy and I could go through what we've been through and be up here talking to you guys this morning about marriage? Really? But God, I want to ask Jeff and the worship team to come on back up. And I'm going to ask Pastor Lyle to come up here with me. Guys, here's the thing. Here's the deal. If you haven't met God yet, today might be the day. I saw a post yesterday, and I love this post. Think about it. Clear your mind. Look at me for just a minute. I want you to hear this really, really well. Is today one day or is today day one? One day I'm going to go down there and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. One day I'm going to submit to Him. Or is today day one of giving your life to Christ? Day one of submitting to Him and seeing what He's got in store for you. Because it's a wild ride, I'll tell you. So as the band plays, 
Me and Pastor Lyle will be down here. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to know who He is and you want to meet Him, come down here and talk to one of us. We would love to share Him with you. Thank you, guys.